I'm Lester Holt. All right, well, let's get cracking here. I've got a KMDB description for you that I'm just going to think of on the fly. Uh, there were a bunch of dead bodies found in Long Island that were all linked. And just this summer, they found the guy who did it. And that's what we're doing here. Airing November 15th, 2023. Here's Andrea Canning with The Hunt for the Gilgo Beach Killer. Hosted by AC, who as I texted you, Kate, I thought was looking good. Okay, in one outfit in particular, which I'll bring up, I thought she was so fine. Your girl. What's that? She loves to wear pink. Hey, and guess what? She makes that pink work, but that's not even my favorite look. We'll get to it. But Kate, hit me. What did you think of this dateline? Listen, this story has been covered by everybody. And I don't think there's any new information here. So I really just want to focus on the dateline of it. Yeah, I mean, I agree, although this whole thing is kind of new to me. I mean, this isn't like the Murtaugh or like Daybell over here. I mean, the case is interesting to me. Is this like old news to you? I guess I've just seen it everywhere. So I'm a little tired of it. Right. But I was very curious to see how Dateline would cover it. And your girl. Yeah. Because that's what this podcast is all about. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know what? I think that's a good way to look at it. And I thought Dateline presented it in a way that was really dope because I didn't realize that this was all kicked off because of this 911 call. Yeah. This 911 call is crazy. Yeah. They never would have found any of these women or the killer if it hadn't been for this woman and her 911 call. And she wasn't even among the bodies found. She wasn't even killed by this guy. That's the crazy part about this is that one, by itself alone, the 911 call, we could talk about for 10 minutes because there's things in there that we like to talk about that happen and don't happen that are wild. And then she gets cut off. And then in the search for her, they find 10 bodies. And they still have no idea what happened to her, Shannon Gilbert. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it's so depressing for her family. Every time they found a body, they thought it was going to be her. And after 10, they're like, ugh, f*** it. Okay, so it's 2010. It's late at night. A 911 call comes in from 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert. The 911 is very chill and says a lot more up top than we usually hear. Hello, you dialed into the 911 system. Do you need the police? Yeah. Somebody is harassing you? Wasn't the 911 person like felt like new on the job or something, was given more info or just more plugged in? This one was pretty chill considering it was kind of a frustrating call. <laughs> it was. There's somebody after me. Where are you? There's somebody after me. Okay, where are you? There's somebody after me. Where are you, ma'am? I mean, look, it ended in a murder, so it was the worst case scenario, but there is a reality where this is just some drunk lady who just is calling saying they're after me, they're after me, they're after me. Like, you could see them being short-tempered there, but they weren't. Yeah, because you never know if someone is only saying what they can say given their circumstances sometimes people call and they kind of have to talk in a code so the person they're with doesn't know they're calling 911 you never know right and she was being very guarded with what she was saying on the phone yeah and she was saying that they're trying to kill me it was a plural thing people were after her i don't know 
It was so weird. Okay, so Joe Brewer is the name of the John, the John that she was visiting. She's driven there by her driver, and a few hours later is when Joe Brewer comes out and says, hey, she won't leave. So now, even though Joe Brewer says that there were no drugs involved, like, obviously, there was partying that happened in those few hours that made her this way. Because she comes running out of there. You hear on the 911 call, you hear everybody going, hey, what's up? Nobody's after you. What's wrong? Like, she's genuinely out of it losing it. So much so that she takes off and she's... Yeah, she rabbits big time. Then she goes bolting out of the house and running down the street. Going up to strangers' houses trying to get help. And you hear them on the 911 call and they're like, what's wrong? Yeah. How can I help you? There's nobody outside. It also sounded to me like it could have possibly been some kind of mental break. I mean, you got to consider it, right? She's knocking on random people's doors. She knocks on this guy, Gus Coletti. I didn't like his tone a little bit. He was like, what are you doing? Don't get yourself in trouble. I wasn't much for Gus. Don't get yourself hurt. Where are you going? But he was on the news the next day having regrets about not saving her, which I would say, good dude, I hope you sit with that for a little bit. It bothers me that possibly I could have saved that girl. Because I'm curious about what you didn't do. I'm curious about what Joe Burr didn't do. I'm curious about what this driver didn't do. If I'm driving an escort to a job and she takes off from the car, I'm failing at my job right then and there. Like, how did he clock out for the night when he didn't have the escort with him anymore? I don't get it. That's a great question. A lot of people failed her because we don't know what happened. And one theory was that she maybe just walked into the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't understand how the call ended so abruptly with her screaming, but I do think it's what the cops suspect that she tripped probably fell face first in the muck of the swamp area or whatever that stuff was and drowned. This was a sad accident. But then where is she? Well, they found her like in the same region. They found her bones like a year later. Hmm. This whole stretch of road, this Gilgo Beach is pretty scary. And even the author that they feature talks about how it's smart because it's a long stretch of road. If a car's coming, you can see him coming from miles away. Creepy. Yeah, and also smart. To me, it's crazy that this stretch of road right along the ocean hasn't even been developed. It's got to be the ground, right? Like, I mean, if it's like the soil or whatever is too marshy, I mean, that's why like wetlands are wetlands, right? I guess. Like you can't do stuff with them construction wise. But they can put a road on it. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so Shannon Gilbert's family is worried about her and they go to the cops and cops are like, guess what? We're going to be the cliche cops you know and love from all these stories. We're going to tell you to go home because we don't give a shit about her because she's a sex worker. Right, Kate? Terrible. Night sergeants yelled at us and told us to get out and mm. why are you over here? Why are you over here? She's a grown woman. She's a hoe. She could do what she wants. And that's why, guess what? This is an all-starless episode. I'm going to say it right now. There's people that finally decided to do their jobs and caught somebody that should have been caught 12 years ago. Zero all-stars in this episode. Zero. The victims are the all-stars. Yeah, I mean, Shannon Gilbert's an all-star. Because, like, this horrible accident that she gets into, we discover all these bodies, right? I mean, we gotta give it to her. Posthumous, all-star ward, Shannon Gilbert, spells it A-N. A-N. Which reminds me of Shanann from, you know, Chris Watts and whatnot. From what? Remember Chris Watts, the guy who killed his wife and the two kids because he lost weight and put the kids in, like, the tank? In the tank, yeah. But his wife was named Shanann. Hey, Santa, where's your phone? In the garage. I wanted it. They're trying to get interest in this missing girl, but nobody cares. Six months are going by. They're looking. There was one cop in particular, him and his dog. They even said his name and I wrote it down. Let's give that cute dog a little shout out here. John Malia and Blue. Dog's name was Blue. 
okay? They're out there searching for six months looking for a body. One officer, John Malia, took his search dog, Blue, out regularly to look for Shannon. Now, before we talk about what they found, can I just say that I love what being a dog owner has done to me to change me at the core of my being. I've had Mrs. C for two years now, two and a half years. Now, whenever I see any dog and I'm like, oh, Blue, what's Blue's history, right? Like, what's Blue's favorite treat? Like, I just want to know the history of all the pups. Dogs open your heart. They do. And Blue out the window, I'm like, Blue's going to find them bodies, okay? Blue is on it. Blue is on the case. Blue's the all-star. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> hey, you're fucking right, okay? I'm not going to remove the posthumous all-star from Shannon. You're right, there is an all-star in this app, and that all-star's name is Blue, okay? You're my boy, Blue! Because John Malia and Blue, they're out there searching. They find remains. Then one morning, Blue got a hit. And it's at this point where they make the mistake of calling the Gilbert family and saying, hey, we're 99% sure that we found the remains of Shannon. Because in their mind, they're going, we found a dead body where she disappeared. It's gotta be her. And they're like, well, she's got a metal plate put in her mouth. So if the remains have a metal plate, we'll know it's her. And you know what? No metal plate. No. And that metal plate story was a bummer for another day, I bet. It was. And I think AC knew it. She was sad to hear that. My sister was in a domestic dispute, so she actually had a metal plate in her jaw. Because a domestic dispute, so that means she was abused. Yes. Like probably some shithead boyfriend broke her jaw. Yep. Ugh, that's a bummer. Sergeant Malia and Blue headed back to the crime scene. So yeah, dog keeps looking, finds another set of remains. So now we've got two dead bodies. Blue keeps going. They find a third set of remains. And I'm not done because old Blue keeps going and finds a fourth set of remains, giving us the Gilgo Four. This was a wild day for Blue, huh? It was. And someone said that in the episode, too. They were like, this was a big day. You know, it was an absolutely, truly shocking day. Forget the humans. I just think, like, in the sense of Blue and his accomplishments, this has got to go down in the history of cadaver dogs. Like, this guy deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of cadaver dogs. He found four in one day. That's pretty good. I hope he got lots of treats. I bet he did. Hey, don't you always see the photos of, like, the, the police dogs when they get their photo taken? You see that online? It's cute. So cute. Okay. All right. Where's my butt? Where's he at? He's over there sleeping. Not all cops are bad. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. We found some good ones. So they find these four bodies, but they keep looking. A total, they find 10 bodies in this stretch of this road. I mean, that's crazy. It's nuts. When has that ever happened? It's a great question. I can't think of a, well, like there's the killing fields thing where there were three bodies. This is 10. Yeah. And all within a couple feet of each other. Yes. And I will say this. I don't think the guy, because here's the breakdown. 10 bodies, one guy, eight women, one toddler, female. Now, I watched the 48 hours on this. Only gave me a few good little tidbits. The biggest one being the DNA linked that toddler to one of the female victims. Right. Probably a witness. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy, I don't I don't think he did the guy. I think this is just, I mean, it's not like he's the smartest man in the world. I think if you're a killer and you drive by this spot, you're probably going... Oh, I could probably throw some bodies and walk away unscathed. If the guy was a witness to him killing one of the escorts, he has to take out the, the guy too. Okay, I can see that. I definitely do not think that he did Shannon Gilbert because like he lived in Massapequa Park, which is around that area, but it's not like right there at that stretch. And the only reason why I keep saying this is because the family, 
I mean, they even hired a lawyer that we got to talk about. But, like, this family is adamant that they think that Shannon was a victim of the Gilgo Beach killer. And I, I think there's proof that it was not true. No. The 911 call just does not sound like it had anything to do with him. I mean, she was there seeing a different John. And there were yeah. at least three people who had eyes on her. It had nothing to do with him. So there's a lot of national interest on this once the four bodies come up. And they, they make a big point of this in the episode because this happens all the time that, like, people didn't care about them because they were sex workers. If her profile were slightly different, then maybe it would be a national news, but it just wasn't. Of course it would. Yeah. And the only reason why it started to matter is because they found so many of them in one area. But as our listeners know, Kurt, we here at I'm Lester Holt yeah. do care about sex workers. Oh, Absolutely. And actually, it made me think of, look, the last season of The Wire is widely regarded as being the least best. Can we agree on that? I think so. I love it. I say least best because I actually love it. And the idea that in order to make people give a shit about the death of homeless people was to make their deaths the victim of a serial killer, then all of a sudden it was newsworthy. And then the city had to do something about it, right? That is so true that that's what it takes to get action. Now, I don't know about you, Kate, but I struggle myself with the enjoyment I get out of true crime. Like, you know, the debate of am I a monster or not? Like, is this okay? Whatever. And I read a great book recommended me by a friend of the show, Star, uh, called Popular Crime Reflections on the Celebration of Violence by Bill James. And it rules. He talks about how true crime fans are necessary because it brings attention to cases that otherwise would not be given to them because the cops, the cops don't give a fuck about any of the cases, honestly. Let's be real. Like, they only care about cases that affect them directly. So the only way to make them care about the death of sex workers is if there's a community of people that are asking questions about, like, hey, why are there four dead sex workers here? Nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah, if it makes them look bad, then all of a sudden they have to care. Yeah, which is why I think that we are a necessary evil, I suppose. To those that think that true crime fans are grossos, I would say, well, we've got to be... We go back as far as time. I think it's necessary to keep the system in check. What do you think? I think we are on the side of the victims. And without true crime fans, sometimes their voices aren't heard. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... But I would also say that I'm not necessarily a true crime fan. I'm a Dateline fan. Okay. So Dateline focuses on those first four bodies, and we learn a little bit more about them. Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman. Amber Costello, and Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Between the friends and the family and the co-workers, oh, what a colorful rainbow of Long Island people and characters. Am I right or am I right? Did you get the sense that AC was having a really hard time getting these people to say full sentences? Yes, absolutely, Kate. I I couldn't agree more. She was struggling. It was like, pulling teeth trying to get them (laughs) to give her more than one word answers but they were all unique in their own way they all had very distinct voices or looks or Or i never see you again on this block oh my gosh i said we Whichever way you want to do it. At that point, I was so heated. I was intrigued by all of them. I kind of wanted to know more about every single one of them, I feel. And I have fun nicknames for them all, like Eyebrows and, uh, of course, Herp Lip. But Oh, that Herp Lip. Poor thing. Yeah, and that was, that was a sister of a victim. She was the most, like, standard, down-the-line, Jersey Shore-type Long Islander. She was pretty, though. Oh, oh, absolutely. And these aren't disses to the—I mean, look, can we talk about the Herp thing? Because I I have a solution. I mean, it's—look, it was a bummer for the half-sister to have to do this talking head with the Herp breakout on her lip, okay? Now, this show is a union show, 
I just found out because I work with a guy who used to edit for it. So I was like picking his brain about it. But this is a union show, so it's not like you could like, if I was an editor on it, I'd be tempted to spend a weekend with her interview footage to get it out of there VFX-wise. Like get in there and post and remove that. Just dealt. She's a f***ing victim in this too, right? You see where I'm going? Maybe. Do you know that Katie Holmes had a herpes lip when she married Tom Cruise? All their wedding photos, she's got herp lip. And they didn't take it out? Nope. What? What? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Goog it. Wow. She was right. Like those lip breakups are a real bummer. And I was with somebody who had one at one point, And I took what is probably one of my favorite photos of all time on film of her on a pier. It's a f***ing awesome photo, but it would be unusable had I not scanned it, gotten to Photoshop and removed that hurt bump. Okay. That's really generous of you. Well, I mean, look, I get it. This poor girl, I wish there had been somebody on that post side going, look, this might be unethical journalism-wise, but can we remove that for her or cut around it? Because she's going to be embarrassed. Yeah. What do you think? Unless we're so wrong and it's not herpes. Right. Look, could just be a cold sore. But I hear cold sore and I think herp. No, that is herpes. Any type of cold sore is a herp. Mm -hmm. But it was on the bottom lip. It was shaped differently. Maybe it was a scar. That's true. Okay, so it's her sister that they have the footage of from the Holiday Inn, the grainy footage of her leaving. Right, the last time they saw her. And now this is a good example of one of the reasons why this should not have taken 13 years to solve. It should have taken six months. And this is one of them that they didn't release this footage of the Holiday Inn lobby for years after. Years the police sat on it. And then when they were questioned as to why, didn't they just say... I don't know. Yeah. A police spokesman told Dateline he doesn't know why it wasn't released sooner. In order to be a police spokesperson, you have two canned responses. There's the one that Kritzia got when she went and complained that the officer said that she's a hoe. She's a hoe. She could do what she wants. She complained about that. And when Dateline reached out to them, their response is, ooh, yeah, we can't comment on it because we don't know the officer involved or the date it happened. So, like, we'd love to help you, but our hands are tied. That's response number one. Hey, without the deets, we can't troubleshoot this for you. Sorry. Number two is the one I hate the most because it's a blanket statement that they can use forever and always, and that's, we can't comment on an open investigation. That's it. That's all you need to be a spokesperson for the police is those two phrases. That's accurate. So why would they sit on this security tape? The last image of Megan Waterman. We would watch this and go like, maybe they're sitting on it because they need to, you know how detectives will sit on info that the, the public doesn't know so that they can weed out people that are trying to get credit for it that didn't do it or whatever. What could possibly be seen in that security tape that could be used in that regard? Nothing. Well, what if their thinking is that that security tape doesn't really offer any new information, so why bother releasing it? Like Amanda said, there was another girl that walked by a few moments later. Like, if this tape could come out the week of this happening, then other people who were at that hotel could see this, and it would be a week old in their mind, as opposed to four years old. True. Okay, so this stretch of Gilgo Beach, you can see from one side to the other, right? Like, is it that thin? I think so. It, look, it might take time, but if we're going to spend six months searching somewhere, why not try this? Why don't they do what the British do? Those long lines? I see them in true crime. Yeah, yeah, where they line up and they get on their knees and it's like, look, every inch of this ground is going to get looked at. You get me? Maybe it's manpower. Maybe they didn't have enough people to do it. But you know there would have been volunteers. That's what I'm saying. If you get a group of 50 people, maybe it takes 200 people. Once a month, once a week or whatever, we go out there and we just get on our hands and knees and walk for 100 yards. Hmm. Right? I mean, we could, I mean. Yeah. Do as the British do. 
the British police have just as many problems as ours. So I'm, I'm not sitting here saying do as they do all the time because they also suck. Not as bad. They did say that the brush along the beach there was like very, very dense. That could right. be part of it. But they, people were walking in it and they had that little tank thing. Like it didn't seem like it was that dense because I, I could see where people were walking. Could have been an excuse. Right? Yeah. Okay, so this thing goes cold for five years, 10 years. It's over a decade. Now- in between 2010 and 2018 is this long stretch of corruption, all under the care of police chief Jim Burke. What do you think of this f**k? This f**king guy. So if you're wondering why has nothing been done, why don't they call in the big guns for help, like the feds? The FBI. It's because the police chief didn't want them snooping around because he was doing crimes of his own. And they were already investigating him. Yeah, because so he didn't want them around because he's like, they've, they're already looking in on me. Now, let me just say some of the things that he was guilty of. These crimes that he, were commi he was committing was some crazy, egregious power to the head. Like, I can't believe this guy, like, sex worker, that's a given. But also left his gun with her. <laughs> Left his gun unattended with a civilian. Yeah. And what's wild is that he's under investigation and eventually resigns. He eventually does three and a half years in prison. But what that is for is not so much hiring of a sex worker. It's that he assaulted someone that stole <laughs> porn and sex toys from his police cruiser, from his cop car, Kateline. So not only is he keeping dildos and porn in his official work car... He's so pissed when somebody steals it that he goes and Chris and beats him up. This guy sucks so hard. I mean, God, if somebody, if I was that nuts and I'm hiding, you know, sex toys in my cop car, if somebody stole it, I'm not asking any questions. I'm moving on with my life. Yeah. This guy says, no, those are my sex toys. <laughs> This time by the feds for assaulting a man he accused of stealing pornography and sex toys from his department vehicle in 2012. I mean, this guy is a special kind of monster. What a clown. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it sucks he only got three and a half years because he is the reason why for eight years nothing was done with this case. Yes. But the good news is he can never be a cop again. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, he was released from prison in 2019. Okay, so in 2018, he's finally out of there. They bring in Geraldine Hart, who I thought she was pretty cool. Like, she's the one who brings attention back to this case, who releases the info about the belt. A black leather belt embossed with the letters HM or WH was recovered. And gets people interested again. But she leaves herself in 2021. And that's when Rodney Harrison steps into the role. And this is the guy who eventually cracks the case and gets credit for this. Even though it should be on blue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But so this guy in 2021, he teams up with the assistant DA, a guy who was one of two people that I wanted to go like, can you even see AC across from you? Because your eyes are so shut while you're talking, <laughs> right? There were a few of them where I'm like, these guys are, what's going on, guys? Wake up. I thought it was wild. So these two team up in 2021. And then the way they finally crack this is by going back to existing evidence, existing statements, and just looking at it again. Right. So this is why I'm pissed. It's the bare minimum. Yeah. So when they're looking at the evidence, they realize that a friend of one of the Gilgo Four made a statement to police that, hey, the day that Melissa, the day that she disappeared, she was on the phone all day with, with a John who we saw later, who was ogre-ish, sick burn to Sick. Him. 
Uh-huh. Ogreish, and also drove a first-generation Chevy Avalanche. Also a sick burn, if you know what that car looks like. Absolutely. They described the driver as ogreish looking extremely tall with glasses. And I gotta say this. Let's give a little bit of this all-star juice to this friend who was clearly a car guy. And I say guy because he was interviewed on 48 Hours, so I know it was a guy. But clearly it was someone who knows cars because of the first-generation descriptor. One, to know it's a Chevy Avalanche, right? Because you see pictures of it, it's a truck. It looks like a truck to me. No, it's an Avalanche. Looks like a truck. The Avalanche has those weird crossbars across the bed. Yeah, but does everybody know that? Don't you agree somebody could look at that? and go, it was a truck. Yeah, and then you'd be looking for a completely wrong car. Exactly. So this is what I'm saying, that thank God this person was a car guy because he specifically said the avalanche part, but I'm even blown away by the first generation of it all. Because, okay, does he know what a second generation avalanche looks like? I I don't fucking know. (laughs) Do you? Honestly, this is my dream. (laughs) My dream is to be able to pull a Marissa Tomei... (laughs) And yep. know the specifics about a car that helps catch somebody. The My Cousin Vinny. Yep, absolutely. It is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, because I do know most cars on the road. I know the make and model. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can even get the year. Wow. And I've always wanted to crack a case because I know about cars. Yeah, this would have been your time to shine. And I can only guess that he knew it was a first gen avalanche because they probably completely changed it for the second gen because it's hideous and no one bought it except for this murderer. This dumb dumb. Yeah, but I mean, that that so easily could have been, it was a green truck and they would have been screwed. Yeah. Because it's from that tip where they go back to cell phone records that you guessed it, they already had. Did you notice that they said that? That the cell phone records they went through were compiled at an earlier date. The task force did a deep dive on cell phone data compiled years earlier. They kind of breezed over that. Yeah, they sure did. So they go over this cell phone info that existed before. They're able to triangulate the location of the person using these burners to communicate with them. And it showed that he lived in the vicinity of Massapequa right. and commuted to Midtown Manhattan. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what allows them to narrow this down to one f***ing guy is because they had that first-gen avalanche info. Yeah, who in Massapequa has a first-gen green Chevy avalanche registered in their name? Yeah. They look it up, it's him, they pull up his picture, that dude looks like Shrek, we got him. <laughs> you look like Shrek indeed. And he commutes to Manhattan. Those burner phones were pinging in all his hot spots. Mm-hmm. And then, this is wild, because obviously this guy has a little bit of luck because he got away with this for 13 years, but it's pretty funny that when you Google his work address, he himself is in the Google Maps result. And then when you Google his house, what's sitting out there on the street but a fucking ugly-ass first-gen green Chevy avalanche. You're caught. Busted. I mean, that's pretty good. Okay, so because of the cell phone data and this clue that we got 10 years ago, we got it narrowed down. It's probably this dude. And she was able to put one and one together and get that green avalanche attached to Rex Hurman. Rex Hurman, a name they'd never come across before. So they got to stake him out because on the bodies of the victims, they found five question hairs. Hair belonging to people that they didn't know it was victim, the suspect, or whatever. Uh, they needed to get 
this guy. So this guy, let's talk about it. his name is Rex Hewerman. Mm-hmm. Now I might be calling him Sexy Rexy because that's what Catherine called him in the early aughts at their architecture firm. Yikes. Remember? Yeah. This guy is an architect, runs his own firm. It didn't look like it was very fancy, but I think they did a lot of work in Manhattan. This guy, Sexy Rexy, we saw videos of him being interviewed for some YouTube YouTube show about architecture. He does not seem very professional to me. This is not like a sophisticated big city architect. This is like a guy who's just doing mundane I don't know. Well, yeah, because like they said that he was well known for knowing how to work within the system of the New York law. I think he was like book smart about building code. Like he's not the architect that we think of where he's like, I'm designing a new wing for Madison Square Garden or whatever. Yeah. He's like, this subway entrance needs a reinforced pole here. Yeah. Which, hey, is also needed. Okay. We need those guys too. Sure. But yeah, I mean, the YouTube interview looked like in this dingy little office. That YouTube interview guy was on 48 Hours. I got to give Dateline a shout out for playing that whole chunk from that interview. If you were a tool, what would it be? A cabinet maker's hammer. It is persuasive enough <laughs> when I need to persuade something. It's Not someone. Something. <laughs> In a world we're always like, why did Dateline leave this out or leave that out? They played a solid minute of this interaction between this weird YouTuber and this giant ogre architect. It was a real window into who this guy is. He seemed really nice and friendly. Yeah. uh, Yeah. When I saw it, I already knew he was the killer. So my arms were already crossed, but I didn't like the way he was answering the questions, Kate. I didn't like it. Rex Hewerman, I'm an architect. I'm an architectural consultant. I'm a troubleshooter. Born and raised on Long Island. Okay. Been working in Manhattan since 1987. But you know, he had coworkers that said the same thing, that he was a great person to work with, that he always had their back. The one coworker said she got really sick and he helped her. Took her to the hospital, got her medicine, made sure she took her home, took her home, made sure she was okay. Yeah. Never anything creepy or weird. Yeah. He got me up there and got me settled in my bedroom. That was Catherine. She kind of loved being part of this case, huh? She, there he is, my colleague, on my phone. There it is on my Insta. Blur this out, Dateline. Tap, tap, tap. There he is. Got him. My colleague. Right there. She loved it. She also said that she went to his house and met his family and everyone seemed really normal and nice. Met his wife. And she just had no idea. No, but there was one room that she wasn't allowed in. Yes. I think it was because it was a steel room with 300 guns in it. I don't think it was like a secret kill box. I think it was, there were 300 guns down there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, probably. He loved guns. He loved hunting. Now, I got to give you this extra tidbit from 48 Hours. They talked to some of the same coworkers, uh, but they, they added a little bit that he was... I mean, surprise, surprise, misogynist and a sexist, because like if the cleaning people didn't clean the bathrooms, he would go to female coworkers and have them re-scrub the toilets and stuff. Mm, charming. Yeah. Yeah. But then the irony of that, his own house was just a total pigsty yeah. and was falling apart. Yeah. And I loved the quotes from neighbors about. Here we go. You're a big architect in the city and you live like a hillbilly in Massapequa. <laughs> This is another classic, like, from the page of the catalog of Long Island people. Mm -hmm. She was a Long Island character. You're a big architect in the city, and you live like a hillbilly in Massapequa, you know? And another neighbor who noticed how run down his house was, (laughs) they would, he and his buddies would walk by and be like, 
I mean, look at this house. Look at this guy. What is he, a serial killer? Bingo. And he was. <laughs> no one in Massapequa Park jokes about it anymore. So to be like, these work toilets aren't clean enough when his own house is like disgusting, that's just... That's just yeah. money right there. Yeah. Not that you have to be in your neighbor's face all the time, believe me, but at least high or or something, right? Those neighbors. And she, like, she tried to play it off like, okay, well, you don't have to be. A bu- she was a busybody. She was a busybody, right? But she was like, I didn't even know their name. Yeah. My mom is like that, though, with some of the people in the neighborhood. She's a busybody. She's always looking to see what's going on, but she doesn't know them. Yeah. She just knows them as, like, guy with the dog, lady with that hat. Yeah. I mean, when they say that she lived there 40 years and didn't know him, I did audibly gasp, okay? But when I think about it, I don't, I barely know that neighbor because the neighbor that used to live there introduced me to him. Like, do you know what I mean? And I only know that neighbor because they're super cool and personable. I don't know a single other person around me. I've been here two and a half years. There you go. Do you know your neighbors? I do. We actually party with them okay. pretty regularly. Oh, so you got like a little sitcom action going on over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so they announce in July of 2023, this police commissioner announces he walks up there. He knows he's sitting on a grand slam too, right? He walks up to that mic and goes, today was a good day. Good afternoon. Today is a good day. Was he quoting Ice Cube there? Maybe. <laughs> but he was sure cocky. Yeah. He comes into this thing and within six months, he's solving it because he just did the work that people should have done a while ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so now this is a legit thing for his resume, right? Like this is like, this is what he'll be known for professionally. But they know they mentioned at the end of the episode, he left the role like within the last week to quote unquote, spend more time with family. What are your thoughts on this? Kate? I think he What's got recruited on? into the federal government and can't talk about it. Shut up. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, he talked like a FBI G-man or whatever. Like he talked like a suit if I've ever heard one. Mr. Low Talker. Can turn up the vol, my man. Yeah. Turn it up a no, little bit. No, he did such a great job with all of the triangulations of the phone pingings and everything. I think they were like, we need this guy, whether it's in FBI or the CIA or what. I don't know. But I think he, maybe even private security, he could be doing something that's got to be kept under wraps so he's just saying spending more time with his kids i like that and i'm gonna say that that's why and i'm gonna choose to accept that because my first thought and only thought was there's a scandal on the cusp oh like he was he slept with an intern and he has to resign i mean the usual thing yeah i thought i like yours way better though yours is way better I feel like he belongs in the FBI or something like that because he never answers yes or no to stuff. He always, you know how the cops will do, they'll like, I mean, look, we always love it when they rephrase the question in their answer. Like we need that edit wise, mm-hmm. but these guys do it too much where it's like, just say yes so we can move on. Like they, they repeat what AC says just a little bit differently. And it's like, guy, that's 20 seconds of this show that we have dedicated to that because you had to repeat it. It's certainly suspicious having that many burner phones when you're an architect. Everything from having dual phones to internet searches um, really showed you what type of uh, disturbed person he was. Or they have to change a very popular, well-known metaphor to make it personalized (laughs) to them, and then it no longer makes any sense. It does happen. That is faux show, and we love it when it does. It's kind of like finding a needle in a stack of needles. The, The DA guy, I came here to roast him for saying digitalize, and then I Googled it. Digitalize. It is a word, Kate. Sorry. Because I was like, you're looking for digitized, my man. Yep. But I, I Googled it. There's two versions. And the definition of both was like a paragraph, a.k.a. 
did not read it, but it, it's apparently a word because I'm with you. I came in here. I laughed out loud when he said it. Same here. We digitalized it so that way we could sort of make it searchable. And then later he said skeletonized, which I think is also a word, but he loved the eyes words. He loves throwing an I-Z-E on stuff. Huh? Good for him. Yeah. Sleepy eyes over there. Hell yeah. He, he was also the one that AC was like, so it sounds like you might be able to solve this case. And he's like, hey, all cases are solvable. AC. You felt like, hey, this is a case we could possibly solve. All cases could possibly be solved. When are you going to talk about her outfit? Oh, the wait, the, my fave one? Uh-huh. I'll tell you right now, the gold. She was doing it in the gold, okay? Gasped. I literally went <gasps> like that when she showed up in that gold. I thought, oh, working it. You got to give me. Come on. She look good in the gold? I love that you love her. <laughs> I sure do. And also I was thinking of you because she was making some statements along the way, wasn't she, Kate? <laughs> She had a little bit of that turquoise jewelry going on at one point. Yep. Earrings and necklace. Uh-huh. Yep. Just statement all the way. I loved it. I loved it. It was cool. She was talking about how she was at there originally in 2010. Right. I covered this story back when the bodies were found. I was out here and I remember what a frightening time it was for people. That was interesting. And it reminded me that what I always forget about it, that she's the person who was interviewing Charlie Sheen when he said all his tiger blood. Was she? Yeah. He's talking to Andrea Canning. Oh, wow. Well, that's something for her resume. Sure is. Have you had any celebrities reach out to you to oh, try yeah. and help you? Yeah, <laughs> like radical people like Sean Penn and Mel Gibson and Colin Farrell and just radical people. But anyway, I love her to death. I thought she was great here. And one of the friends, Critzia, who was an exclusive, they had a exclusive because she had never talked on cam before. Dateline did let us know that, but they were chill about it. Her best friend, Critzia Lugo, is telling her story on camera for the first time. In 48 hours, okay, would not shut up. They, I mean, I'm telling you, they said exclusive probably 10 times. Over the years, we've secured exclusive interviews with the family and friends of the Gilgo Four. Look, they, I guess they got to brag, but they're bad at it's it. It's very okay? tacky. They're bad at it. Yes, you tacky. To quote Caitlyn, you tacky. Did I say that? I love it. You sure did. Caitlyn, y'all are tacky. Oh, yeah. Like this, I gotta say, the one thing 48 Hours has on Dateline, their theme song is a f***ing banger. Da-dum! Da-dum! It's just like violin. You know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna play it right now. Ugh. What? Come on. That doesn't get you going? Dun! You don't like the Dateline moan better? Well, I do because I imagine that's AC in the booth, holding the cans to her ears, singing, really feeling it with her eyes closed. I do love the Dateline one. You're right. You're right. <sighs> okay, fine. Look, they're both good, all right? They're both good. The dream would be the violins with AC's moan. It's not AC moaning. <laughs> you don't know that. Look, she's a screenwriter. She's a journalist. Maybe she's a singer. Okay, let's talk about Asa, and that's Rex's poor wife of like 20-some years. They got two kids. One of them's adopted. We get eyes on both these kids. But this wife, this wife, what do you think about this wife? She was apparently blindsided by it. She had no idea, and we see her being absolutely tormented by the press. Yeah, and like they play the footage of her on her fuck. She's just sitting on a stoop petting her dog. And they're yelling questions at her. And she's like, just leave me alone. She's like right? very close to tears, just at her wit's end. I can't even imagine what she was going through after learning all of this. Are you staying in the house? Please, leave me alone. That's none of your business. Well, yeah. Like, take, for instance, the shock. So she is from 
Iceland originally. In the summers, she would take her and her kids, would go back and visit her family in Iceland. And this, coincidentally, was when all these murders happened. So it makes it pretty clear as day that, like so many of these serial killers, there was a poor, unsuspecting wife that was used as a... And I appreciate... You know how I hate when they don't just answer a question. But I did like that the low talker said as close as he could to, she's not a suspect, she was out of town when the murders happened. You shouldn't be blaming her, is what I wanted him to scream at the camera, because I think it's insane that people even suspect her. Her husband is out being a serial killer. That's already shocking enough. And now until the end of time, you're being suspected of being a potential, because one of her hairs was at the scene. Well, guess what? They live together. They're husband and wife. Her hair is all over him. Yeah. I think about that a lot, because my hair is all over my house. My hair is on my roommate. My hair is on me. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, I leave hair. Same. Yeah, I shed too. Uh, so wait, are you trying to tell me that you don't remember this Willy Wonka looking mother attorney? The lawyer? I do. Enter attorney John Ray. I remember him when this case was unfolding because I was seeing it. Oh, really? Even though I wasn't paying attention to the details because I wanted to save it. Yeah. I remember seeing him. I mean, he's also kind of got like a Roger Stone vibe. The man likes hats. <laughs> and you know what? I think it's a smart play because it's memorable and he's getting the attention on the case. When he's got that little ponytail, look, let's not cut this guy short here, Kate. It's not just hats that he's into. He's got a walking stick. He's got colors and patterns fighting against each other from the tie to the jacket that are bonkers insane. He's wearing fedoras with competing colors. Like this guy's got a look. I don't know. If you hire this guy, what do you think? You think you like, is this good for the case? I wouldn't want him defending me, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind having him on a team if it meant bringing more attention to the case in general. Yeah. I mean, it might get some smirks or chuckles like it's getting out of me right now. But the fact is he is memorable. You see him roll up to some of these press conferences. Like, I'm not forgetting this guy. And a little cane. I want to see what this guy's closet looks like. It's probably like, bah! imagine how bright his closet is. So many colors. Do you think a guy like that wears cumps? Do you think he's at home in cumps? And are those cumps also colorful? Huh. I have no idea. I, I just, I love watching on movies when a guy goes home in a suit and sits down and makes a drink and sits in his own house in a full suit. And I'm like, who are these aliens? Like, what are you doing? You don't have to wear a suit anymore, dude. You're home. It's, it's like in uh, Downton Abbey when they would get dressed up for dinner. And they would wear different fancy outfits for different times of the day in their house. Yeah, that reminds me of a killer 30 Rock quote. Oh, yeah. But it's after six, Lemon. Why are you wearing a tux? It's after six. What am I, a farmer? I'm trying to think of the stuff along the way. That, oh, so they've got this name, Rex Hewerman. He's ogre-like. He drives the <laughs> car. He works here. He lives there. But we got to connect him. We need something, like, tangible. So they got to stake him out for DNA. And this, you know I love. Yeah, love it. This is right up your love alley. It. Yep. And sure enough, guy throws out a box with a pizza in it. They swoop that trash and they got a match. They got a match. This is your bingo moment here. And Sleepy IDA was like, I had to reread it five times just to make sure because I couldn't believe it. How pumped was that day? It's great. Huh? That must have been awesome. So then they take him right there on the street outside his work. Well, yeah, they do. They they, they do. They take him outside his work. But did you notice they've got security footage of him just out on the street? And we see that like he's being followed by agents, right? But there's one shot where those agents are obstructed and they're obstructed by two bozos on a Segway. <laughs> did you see the Segway come up again? I couldn't believe it. Great. I, we, we talk about Segways every other episode. <laughs> 
they're a staple in American transportation. I guess, because there were two of them, and they couldn't get around him. It was literally dudes in black and white suits, sunglasses, and two bozos just do-do-do-do-do, segwaying, excuse me, sir. Oh my God, I loved it. Uh, all right, so yeah, his trial's coming up. He thinks he's innocent. He's going to be f***ing guilty, because we know it. Am I missing anything? No. I did like Catherine, the one who was pumped about seeing him on the phone. Uh-huh. They showed some pictures of her. Boy, she was an early aughts hottie. Like the lead in Kissing a Fool. Oh, totally. She was a babe for sure. I saw her in pics. I was like, boy, I'd, I'd had a mad crush on her if I was in that architecture office. She was still hot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, she had a hotness that took me back to a specific time and place, and that was the early aughts. We have such a fondness for that era. We do. It's the last time I felt relevant. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well... I think that brings us to our list. I mean, this is a big episode. It's a big case. And as as the author said, Kate, it's a serial killer of a generation. They say that a few times. Biggest serial killer case to happen in New York in a generation. So are they referring to, is Joel Rifkin the previous one from New York? Because they're saying the biggest one in New York in a generation. So I assume they're talking about Joel Rifkin. Maybe. I'm trying to think who else it would be. I forget where Israel Keys lived. I don't know. All these guys fucking. Anyway, what's up? You got a list? Kate's unnamed list. The only thing I have, surprisingly, nothing really hit except a lot of people cried. Everybody cried. Yeah. But nobody apologized for crying. But one woman was close. She technically apologized for swearing, but not for crying. Oh, yeah. I loved her. She was great. And I think about that every day. Sorry for swearing. I loved her. She was great. So I don't know if I should count Uh, it. Yeah. Uh... You know, I mean, look, I thought of you during those times because there were a few where it's like, look, this person's crying and they're Come talking, on. but I'm not just getting say it. it. I'm not getting it, though. Yeah. Nobody said sorry. It's really sad. Like, oh, my God, I don't want to cry. I think you can count that, though. OK. And that also brings up a good point that that last lady who also had sleepy eyes, who was also in 48 hours. And I think it was the makeup and dateline that made it look like her eyes were shut. But she had a vibe, too, that I loved. She was wild. You know what I'm talking about? The one who who was like. And I have a thing for serial killers or whatever. Like, she went on a date with Rex eight years prior to be, like, a regular John for her. And the and they talked about... They talked about true crime. I'm a big serial killer buff, actually. So when you brought up true crime, I was like, actually... Actually, yes. Yeah, I was like, this is something I, I could talk about for hours. And specifically, Gilgo Beach. And then as soon as yeah. he started giving specifics about it, she got the ick. Yeah. Yeah, she, she she got that bug that said, get the f*** out of here. And she did, and he was pissed. He was livid, they said. Oh, yeah. Because she was supposed to go back with him. But good honor. Good honor. I Also, the, I always say I'm interested in true crime. I don't... When you say you're interested in serial killers, it kind of makes it sound like you're a fanboy for serial killers. Right. I'm not right? writing letters to people. But, I mean, I like this I liked this lady, though. I liked her a lot. I, I just loved all the, the Long Island ladies. I just wanted to hear them talk more. They all had something where I was like, I want to know more about you. What's up? I wish we could do the accent. I, right? I, I literally, I can't touch I'm it. I'm not good at it. Give it a shot, though, Kate. Just try it real quick. It's going to come off like I'm trying to be Tony Soprano. Just go ahead. Just give us a little taste. Give me a sentence to say. Okay. Say, uh... Long Island. That was good. You got to say the G. Car- Kick-ass list. Kick-ass Kick-ass list. Not a damn thing. Nothing came close, even. Yeah. Nothing. So interesting for such a big case. Not a thing. No, sir. Uh, uh, I don't know when his trial is. Do you? No. I don't really care. Yeah, because, I mean, they're going to find guilty, right? But then they're going to do another dateline about it. Sadly. And then we'll talk about it. Do we have to? Or will we? 
because as teased before, we're skipping Murtaugh's. We're skipping him. Murdaw, Murtaugh, whatever. We're skipping that app. Before that skip happens next week, we are watching the Thursday Shorty Part of the Plan. Boom. Well, I'm Kurt Money. I'm Kateline. I'm Lester Holt. For all of us, I'm Lester Holt. Good night. You're my boy, Blue!